You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, the textbook industry. So this is, this is thrilling for you. I know. Do you know why? It's, 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 it's only tangentially related to what I'm saying. Um, as is much of what I say, but um, you probably, if if you went to public school, you probably learned about the Alamo and the uh, San Francisco Gold Rush, right? This happens. This can you general? You don't have to know about it now, but do you remember learning about these things? Now, do you know why you learned about these things? Because the state of Texas and the state of California buy a lot of textbooks. And so the textbook publishers ensure to put the state's histories that sell a lot of textbooks in their books so they can move the product. Does that make sense? That's why we have that. In Pennsylvania, and see, this is, this is my assumption. I don't know any facts about this, but they talked a lot about Ben Franklin in Pennsylvania because he's like our guy, right? That was the idea. Is this, anyone get uh, educated out of the state? And was Ben Franklin a fixture? Let's just debate it now. <laughs> Electricity. Yeah, he did a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, first hospital. Love is amazing. Insur- the f- first fire insurance company. See, Pennsylvania education. I just don't. Yeah, that's our Alamo, right? That's 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 what they, that's what they talk about. Anyway, we learned that Ben Franklin coined this phrase: "God helps those who help themselves." Are you familiar with this? Oh, really? Well, that's, yeah, that's the idea we're working with this season, right? We're pulling up some cultural the- uh, theology, so to speak, folk theology, and saying, Jesus didn't say this. What does it mean to us? How do we, how do we work with it, even though it's kind of in the public um, atmosphere? Um, so my Pennsylvania education taught me Ben Franklin said this. But the, and the basic idea here is, has been around for a long time, though. So Ben Franklin didn't come up with the idea. He didn't invent this. Um, you know, it's in uh, ancient Greek dramas, in uh, Aesop's fables, if you're familiar with them, two of them in particular. It's in French literature. It's in English literature. So it has some pervasiveness across the culture, so much so that its attribution is less important than its impact. So like, like a lot of the phrases and ideas that we're trying to debunk in the next few weeks, maybe debunk is not the right, it's too aggressive of a word. What? Reframe, that's better. But like some of the phrases we're working with, this it's, it's not without merit. But it does teach us something and it tells us something, right? So what's the, what's the message that we hear when we see this saying, God helps those who help themselves? What's it tell us about God? What's it tell us about ourselves? What do you hear? What do you, what do you got? Talk, speak back now. This is what I'm saying. This is what I want. You don't have to do what I want. I'm just expressing what I want. Go ahead, Randy. What, is this, what, what are you hearing? But what I see from that, although I know that that's not true, but what I see from that is that God won't move in your life unless you start to move with him. Okay, that's, that's, that, yeah, that, that's definitely in there. Nadia, you're going to say something? What else do you got from it? Yeah, Bethany. Bootstraps? 
You think a bootlicker says this too? Sorry, just a boot, th- boot, boot thinking. Sorry, I'm done. Anyone else? Yeah, Jordan. Just call out. Oh, be active. Any more? Don't be lazy. Yeah, be self-sufficient, right? Yeah, I, I think it's trying to, I'm going to try to be as nice as I can to Ben Franklin here. Um, at its core, I think the phrase is trying to inspire people to be empowered, to take initiative, to have initiative, to act with their own ability and their own agency. Yes, you can do it. You have something in you. I appreciate that. I also appreciate that about um, the United States, uh, <laughs> that, that we have a very, uh, I know, I know, I know, that we have a very positive um, message to give people. There's a lot of optimism. You can do it, you know. People in the United States think they can do everything, you know, and I, I don't think that's all bad necessarily. So I think there's something positive about that. Um, so I appreciate that, you know, because I often feel like I'm too small or weak to really have an impact on my life circumstances or the world's, right? That, that's more, that could be a negative feeling that I have and that I often do have. So I think there's something about the self-initiative that's, that this phrase conjures up that's actually positive. But like some people are saying, the transactional relationship with God makes it the problematic part. We were talking about the baby goods exchange, you know, a few minutes ago. There's no transaction happening there. You're not exchanging something for something else. It's just generosity, right? It's freedom from a transaction. This makes me transact with God. So if I read it, if I read it in a certain way, it might tell me that God only helps me if I help myself. God only helps us if we help ourselves. And that sort of causal relationship puts God in a sort of threatening position. The idea could become, if you don't receive help from God, you aren't working hard enough. That's why you're not. Or alternatively, God doesn't help those who don't help themselves. Right? That can be another message you get from this phrase. And I think that the issue that it brings up is that God's provision, what God provides in God's love is a conditional matter. It's a circumstantial matter. So we, re- we, we, we receive it if we work hard enough, if we help ourselves enough. So that kind of sets us up against God. If we don't work hard enough, God doesn't provide. What that means then is in moments, or what it could mean is that in moments where we feel like God isn't helping, we might think it's because God decided we weren't worthy of help because we didn't help ourselves enough. And so that either sets us up to feel bad about ourselves or it sets us up to feel bad about God. It might even entitle us to God's favor because we work hard God should lavish more blessings on us. Or should I ever run into blessings, it's because I was a good, hard worker and I've earned everything that I have. That's another kind of American idea. And so it sets up this idea that God only withholds provision in order to punish us. That God can provide, 
But God doesn't when God doesn't think we deserve it. There could be a lot of problems that come with that, right? A lot of ways that we think about God. And our God image affects how we worship, how we pray, how we connect to community. And this is a God image that's kind of trickled down on us from all sorts of places. And so it's not even conscious that we think about this all the time. It, it, it kind of saturates us in a different way. So God can provide, but God doesn't help when God doesn't think we deserve it. Personally, I'm not sure what the point of a God who only shows up when you're helping yourself is. You know, I kind of need God to show up when I'm, I can't help myself. You know, if I'm doing good already, well, I guess some gravy is good, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of it. I'm working hard. I'm getting what I need. It doesn't inspire a lot of faith to me. So I have theological problems with this old saying. I think it burdens too much from us. It burdens us too much in order to collect God's favor. Burdens us too much to collect God's favor. It also turns God into an all-powerful God who distributes fortune, fortunes in a conditional way. You know, it, it, now some people think God distributes for, fortune for uh, one reason or another. This supplies a why. So it's even a step more forward. Um, and it kind of undoes a key part of the gospel for me, the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, because for me, a central idea of the gospel is that God loves us not because of what we do, not because we deserve it. God loves us because of how God sees us. God loves us and provides for us because of who God is. That's, that, that's, that's central, I think, to the gospel. You know, I don't think Jesus saves us because we helped ourselves enough to deserve it, right? So I have theological problems. I have philosophical problems with this saying, too, because it centers the idea of help on us, that we're supposed to help ourselves on our own, and then God will provide. You know, Christian charity and generosity don't apply here, right? It's a conditional charity and generosity. And if we mimic God, if we're supposed to act like God, and God is only helping people that help themselves, then obviously we should only help people who help themselves, however we judge, whatever that means, right? And that idea is definitely peppered throughout the American ethos, isn't it, right? Destitute people always have to prove themselves to get any sort of fortune, don't they? To get any sort of blessing. I remember when I first moved to Philadelphia, the people that asked me for money or resources that I, that I encountered when I was walking around um, always had as part of their routine um, a story about why they were going to get back to work or needed my donation to apply for a job or something. They were trying to prove themselves like, hey, I'm not just a beggar, I'm trying to work. That's what I'm doing, so now you can give me your money. Here, here's my job, here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to make a living for myself. He was selling these, uh, those plastic roses, I remember distinctly, you know, and this was his job. And he was, you know, that was the, he, he was trying to create a transactional relationship with me because he thought that's how correctly the economy works. That you're not going to give me anything out of your own heart because you've already judged me because you think I'm going to use it all in, in drugs or something. Um, and so now let me, let me show you that I'm earning my keep here. So that's part of the culture, right? You know, I always thought they were trying to make themselves a case 
make for themselves a case why they were worthy of generosity. You know, and, and, and part of that saddens me because the grace of God and the love of God is not based on whether I can meet a standard or not. So there's something about that that undoes it. And of course, that whole environment that I'm talking about is complicated. You know, and we can talk about why that's complicated if you want. But even in this interaction that I had with this rose salesman, um, the message was there. I'm helping myself. Help me too, right? I think that's also how we can see God. What that thinking does is that it causes us to, uh, or it can cause us to not question societal uh, norms and prejudices, right? You can see how pervasive it is in our society today. I'm not going to bore you with, uh, well, it might not be boring. I'm just not going to extend this very much longer. But the United States has a massive income inequality problem. Know what I mean when I say income inequality? But the richest people have a lot of money, and like most of the money, and poor people don't, right? There's a huge inequality. And it's actually getting worse, you know? But if you extrapolate this phrase into the culture, you might think, well, there's no injustice with the income inequality that we experience because poor people deserve to be poor because they didn't help themselves enough. Otherwise, they'd get God's favor. So being poor is now because you're, uh, because you're lazy, right? Because you're sinning, because you're not helping yourself. And, 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 and wealthy people did help themselves, and so they earn God's favor. There's a whole brand of Christianity surrounded around God's blessings being connected to your uh, good faith, right? And we don't, really, we, uh, we don't really talk about that all the time, at least around here, but it's there. It's not surprising, then, that this uh, phrase was popularized, perhaps, by uh, one of the American founding fathers, right? You can see how pervasive it is in the idea of, that idea is in our culture, you know, I'd also add that uh, it isn't American. Uh, what I was describing before is like meritocracy. Maybe you're familiar with this phrase, too, if you kept paying attention in high school, right? Meritocracy is uh, a society that, that in which favor is purportedly distributed based on merit. You do good things and you get good things in return. It's also popular because of how we see God. And how we see God is largely influenced by Greek theology and philosophy. So ancient Greek philosophers constructed an image of God, that, an image of God that is easily found in the New Testament if you look for it, because the New Testament is being contextualized for a Greek culture and easily found in the early church, which codified God in a Greek culture. And so we have Greek ideas about God. The specifics about the Greek God are less important than the fact that we have an idea about how God works. And it is often an extra-biblical idea about how God works. When I say extra-biblical, I mean outside of the Bible, strictly speaking. Or kind of outside of our faith. God exists in a certain way uh, larger than Christianity, beyond Christianity because we have an idea about who God is that's given to us by the philosophers around us. I think it's important for Christians to interrogate those ideas and not just consume them and apply them to God. So, so 
we have a society that think people's wealth is the result of their hard work. And that's a cornerstone of the American ethos. And then we have a theology that tries to figure out God in totality. That we have, we have an image of God and how God works. This is what this phrase is saying to us. Both of those things. It, and, and, and you can see it's a, it has a mimetic influence. It spreads easily. It's held on to easily because it has the American ethos, but it also it grounds an idea about God too to us. Um, so there's a lack of wonder and mystery around God that phrases like this create, and that sets up for us a number of problems. A God who controls everything, including our fortune on earth, which is now dependent on our hard work, right? That's, that's, that cause, that creates a whole mess, a whole problematic kind of a place to live in and a place to grow your faith in. So I think we may need to develop the understanding that things may, things we earn may be in part because of our work. They may be in part because of God. And they may be in part because of any number of other factors. So rather than dissect exactly how we collect the favor or the fortune that we have, maybe we can just keep away from saying it was entirely our achievement or burdening it to, with God, to God entirely. You know, because it probably isn't either of those things. All you or all God or something like that. Can we live in a little bit more wonder and mystery about God? I mean, isn't that actually fuel for grace? Not exactly sure how it all works out. We don't see it very clearly, you know, when we aren't certain exactly how we encountered the circumstances that we did. We may extend ours more graciously when we don't know how we collected our own fortune. I keep saying fortune like we're like we're like we're super rich. It's just a phrase that I'm that I'm stuck on for some reason. Um, so, and some of you think, I don't really have a fortune. I have a lot of debt. That's what I have. So you might think, well, the way I encountered the, 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 the circumstance that I'm in isn't something that I know, and so now I can freely distribute because I'm not, I, don't even, I haven't even parsed out how I got it, so why should I parse out whether you deserve it, right? That's, that, would be, that's that wonder and mystery creates that environment, in my opinion. We, we can be generous without people needing to prove their worth for our generosity. Paul talks about this very thing in 1 Corinthians. This is the only passage I'm using tonight. The church in Corinth is often caught up in their own meritocracy. People think that their obedience has resulted in their blessings or their blessings are because of how brilliant they are. And so either they were either really good rule followers or, or too smart for the rules, probably, is how, how, how it was working there. Um, and he warns them not to be puffed up about their accomplishments. This is Paul writing to the Greek city in Corinth, um, of Corinth. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if it was not a gift? You know, the things that we have are mysteriously granted to us. So let's not be too puffed up about our own achievements or even our own holiness, our own piety, our own good actions. God helps us. I think that's true. But God doesn't, God, God's help isn't dependent on our cooperation. God's, God helps us even when we're not cooperating. 
God helps those who help themselves, fine, but God also helps those who don't help themselves. So that, that might be, that's, maybe that's just a better phrase. It's longer and kind of like, that just, just, you could just say God helps people, you know. Maybe Ben Franklin should have said that. Um, when we help ourselves or help others, we're mimicking God, the God who helps. God's help isn't incumbent upon our help. It inspires our help. Right? God's help isn't incumbent upon our help. It inspires us to help. It inspires us to serve. We don't serve ourselves or the world in order to gain God's favor. God's provision for us enables and models how we care for ourselves in the world. Right? There's something about knowing our standing with God, knowing it's not dependent on the things that we do, that allows us to be generous, gracious, and um, free with what we've been given because we're not concerned about losing God's favor as a result of doing it wrong or not doing it at all. So my prayer then is that we see ourselves and one another the way that God sees us, worthy of help, worthy of love, worthy of favor, if you will. Worthy of provision and help and support because God found us worthy of it. We don't need to try to earn God's favor. And it seems to me like so many of our attempts at trying to earn God's favor or to collect our own worth results in a lot of societal and personal problems. You might feel like you're a failure and you've fallen out of God's favor if you're not working hard enough. Or you might think that you really do need to collect all the resources you can for yourself. Because who knows what will happen tomorrow, right? What if, what if I uh, fall on bad times and they don't think I uh, deserve help? We don't piously assign God all the credit, though. We're cooperators. We're co-collaborators with God. You know, the other side of this saying and all the problems that it causes is you didn't help yourself at all. You didn't do anything to help yourself. That nothing you do can help yourself or others because only God does that. Right? That's the other extreme of this. And that sort of negative anthropology or view of humankind is the dark side of combating the meritocracy of the same. And I think that's paralyzing too. We might be tempted to think the holiest thing we can do, sometimes you hear people say this, is give God all the glory. Because I did nothing to cooperate with God on this. God just did it, you know. And, 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 and I get that kind of, but I also think, hey, no, I, 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 I work with God. God likes me. We have a relationship. There's some mutuality here, you know. And that, that frees me up to be, a, to be a cooperator with God. The Spirit of God lives in me, right? God lives among us. We can actually act for God and for redemption. I just don't think it's that simple to say, well, I'm just going to remove myself from it, right? We might think that God controls everything, so why would I bother? We might think that we don't have an active role in the world, in God's world redemption project, so we're just going to let it go. We're not going to apply ourselves. We might think we're terribly flawed, that our good works are just going to hurt other people, so I'm not going to do anything because everything I do is going to make things worse. The dangerous part of this isn't just carelessness, it's 
It may inhibit us from taking responsibility for our actions. We might think God has it all under control, so what I do doesn't matter. So we can, can we take the good from this bad saying? You can help yourself. You have the stuff that it takes to do positive, life-giving things. Yes, but you aren't alone. God helps too. The community around you helps too. You aren't entitled to help, but you're freely given, given it, so you can freely give it away too. Own our power. No, we have it. No, we're not anonymous or weak. But you can co-collaborate with God, cooperate with God to do good now. Right? God is the author of goodness. And we help spread God's love by sharing that goodness too. We should then expressively and conspicuously talk and do the good work that we can for ourselves and for others because it reflects God. People might meet God through our good works, but they also might just be blessed. That would be good. That would be good if that's all we did. You know, even if they didn't, even if they were just blessed by the good that we do, that would be an accomplishment. When we help others, we're acting like God. That's a better saying, if you ask me. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.